Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. invite you to take your copies of the scripture this morning and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 3 be in verses 25 through 29 this morning as we make our way through the book of Galatians talking specifically about fighting for the gospel and as we have even said fighting for the gospel in the church I'm reminded this morning of what it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a stability in Jesus Christ that we need. Because our world changes, everything around us changes. We even change. Our lives change. But we need a Savior who is the same. Always and forever. How do I know that Jesus will never let you down? How do I know that Jesus will always be there for you? How do I know that Jesus will care for you better than anyone else could ever care for you? Why do I get up here Sunday after Sunday and do what I do? (laughs) Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think about that. You will not meet a different Jesus when you see Jesus for the very first time. It will be the same Jesus that you know right now. And you won't have to say, oh, it's so nice to meet you, Jesus. You will say, this is the Jesus that I know. This is the Jesus that I love. This is the Jesus who's mine. And so let's focus on him this morning. Who else is there that we would want to focus on? Would you stand with me as we read Galatians 3, verses 25 through 29. After I finish verse 29, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God. Let's read. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs 
according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. To the one who walks among the seven lampstands, who walks among all his churches, who walks among this church, your lampstand, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I believe one of the biggest struggles for mankind in this world is the constant struggle to be searching for his or her place in the world. To know where they fit in. To know where they belong. We as adults are good at covering over this problem, at pretending like we know what we're doing. (laughs) We're experts at making it look like we have it all together. Our kids, the youth, haven't learned this technique yet, and so often the struggle is more prominent in their lives. Who am I? What am I doing here? What is my place? What's my place in this family? What's my place in this school? What's my place in life when I get out of school? What is it that will define me Will it be enough? Will I be taken care of? Will I make it? They struggle, they fight, and they fall down, and they pick themselves back up again, and they they keep searching and searching until they realize, like we all have realized, that we just have to paper over the problem. They know what we know from this theme song. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got, taking a break, from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to know where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. We wonder why so many are looking for a place to escape. why so many people are insecure. Is there ever such a thing as an insecure Christian? Are you an insecure Christian? How do we know? We try to add to the gospel. We try to hold on to something external, something that we've done, some work that we've accomplished, so as to try to remove that insecurity so that we can say, look, I have this, I have something that I can hold on to that will take away all of my insecurity, all of my doubt, all of my fears, all of my dread. The Galatians were insecure They needed something tangible. They needed something visible to be their security. They needed something they could hold on to and say, yes, look, I know know I'm in. I know I've got it good. I know that I am Abraham's son. I know that I am God's. How do you spot insecure people in the world? 
They could be very fearful people. That fear could make them very timid. They run away from things. I also find, though, that sometimes the most insecure people are the most bombastic people. Loud. Trying all the more to cover over their insecurities. Projecting all of their problems and all of their worries and all of their fears on somebody else. What should the Christian life be like? What's different for the Christian? I wish I could say that the struggle is not there. That the Christian life is the easy life, but it's not. Yet, it is different, and the difference lies in this. We realize that our place is living as exiles. as living as sojourners or strangers in this world. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, the very first verse. Oftentimes these are verses that we go over, but listen to what Peter says as he introduces his epistle in 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. So he's saying, I'm writing to you, churches, you are elect exiles in this world. And then he lists them. He says, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Do you hear that in there? We're going through the book of Galatians, and here is Peter saying, you're elect exiles, and he says this to who? The people in Galatia. Galatia, I want you to know you are elect exiles. You are sojourners. You are strangers in this world. That means that we are not home yet. But it also does not mean that we are left alone to fend for ourselves. That even as exiles, we have great and many advantages in Christ that help us live as faithful, patient, trusting, ever-dependent, ever-hoping, ever-at-peace exiles. Paul here, as we come to the end of chapter 3, puts an exclamation point again on his argument that he's saying all of the advantages that you ever need in the Christian life, all of the advantages that you could ever dream of, all of the advantages that you didn't even know that you needed are already yours in Christ Jesus. We've been saying this over the last few weeks. The gospel doesn't make it so you can get ahead in life. The gospel gets you ahead in life. Why is that important? Why is it important that the gospel gets you ahead and doesn't just make it possible for you to get ahead? Well, because then it all still depends upon you. If the gospel just makes it possible for me to get ahead in this life, what happens? It's still all dependent upon me. It's still all dependent upon what I do. It's still all dependent upon me making my way to God. It's still all about me sanctifying myself. Like Paul has already said, having begun by the Spirit, are you going to be perfected by the flesh? No, it's still the Spirit. It's still God working in us. It's still Him sanctifying us. 
how important is that for us to realize? Any holiness that you have, any holiness that I have, is not my own holiness, it's a borrowed holiness from the holy God. Be holy as I am holy, how can I do that? Because God is working in me, because God is giving me his holiness, because God is sanctifying me and setting me apart. Not because I've conjured up some holiness in my own heart. Let me tell you, my friends, there is no holiness in my own heart apart from God. Paul tells us beautifully in these verses that we are in Christ. You see that just littered through these four verses. You can't escape it. You can't get away from it. For in Christ Jesus, you were baptized into Christ. You put on Christ. You are one in Christ. If you are Christ's, this is what the glorious gospel does Not only does it save you from sin and death, it magnificently unites you, binds you together with Jesus Christ. And so being bound together, being in Christ, we find all of these advantages that we have in Christ. And we've been talking about four different advantages because of our union with Christ. So just as a reminder, we've seen first, our union with Christ changes our status before God. Who are we now that we're in Christ? We are sons of God. We've been brought into his family. That the Galatians' hope of wanting to be sons of Abraham, Paul is saying, wasn't enough. What's even greater than being sons of Abraham is being sons of God. And this is the status of everyone who is in Christ. All Christians, both men and women, it's the full status of being in the people of God. And our relationship with God is established because of our union with Christ. We have a relationship now with Him that's secured by faith. It's faith in the Son of God that makes us sons of God. We've also seen, number two, that our union with Christ changes our view of self. After seeing how to relate to God through Jesus, Paul then turns to instruct how we relate to ourselves. This is important for how we live. We've been talking about our identity. Where do you get your identity from? How do you know who you are? What is it that makes you, you? And how many get sidetracked here in our world today believing that they can make their own identity? That they can provide that for themselves? That they somehow need to create themselves, decide for themselves how they want to be identified. For the Christian, our identity is found in Christ and it's given to us by Christ. We see that in this beautiful picture of baptism. Buried with Christ in death, raised to walk in newness of life. We see this also in this Description of putting on Christ, like you put on clothes. That now we're clothed with Christ's righteousness. Now we're also put on Christ, so we're being conformed into his image, being made more like Christ. Last week we talked about number three, our union with Christ changes our view of unity. And how our view has changed because Paul here is telling us that this unity is not something that we create. He doesn't say, get together, Christians, be unified. What does he say? 
you are one in Christ. That is your reality. You are unified. You are bound together. You can't create it. And yet the world, the world can only say, let's get together. Let's try to unite. Let's create oneness that will bring peace and revolutionize the world. But such unity will not save the world. We can't make ourselves one. We can't unify on our own. Rather, we are made one in Christ Jesus. And so when you look at your brother and your sister, it's why it's important for us to come together, isn't it? Because it's that opportunity for you to look your brother, your sister, in the face, in the eye, and that you would think we are one in Christ. We are united in Christ. We have a bond that is greater than any other bond known to man. What is it that keeps us apart? If there is neither Jew nor Greek, if there is neither slave nor free, if there is no male or female, what is it that keeps us apart? Is it not arrogance? Is it not pride? Maybe look at Galatia, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Back a few books from Galatians. Romans 12, verse 3. You see the problem here. Romans 12, 3. For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. How many problems in the church would be alleviated if we applied that verse to our lives? Not to think of ourselves higher than we ought. but to think with sober judgment. We've all been given grace. We've all been given Christ's grace. What is it that makes you better? What is it that makes you higher? What is it that makes you more prominent? What is it that separates us? Arrogance. And so let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But pray, dear brother and sister, pray for sober judgment. Our last point, number four. Our union with Christ makes us heirs of the promise. Our union with Christ makes us heirs of the promise. You see this in verse 29. We might be tempted to think that with this word if, you see that word there at the very beginning, and if, that it's calling into question if you are Christ's. But this is a conditional statement, right? So it's if, and then Paul will follow it up with a then. Paul says if, not to bring despair, but to bring greater confidence and assurance in your life, dear Christian. How does the statement and if you are Christ, strengthen us. 
it makes us look back for a moment and ask, how do I know that I am Christ's? He has already told you how you know. You know because you are in Christ. And so believing and having faith in Christ, the Son of God, you would now also be called sons of God. In Christ you have been baptized into Christ, identifying with him in his death and resurrection. In Christ and having so put on Christ. In Christ and so one together in Christ, unified in the church. And think about that. The work of the church is supernatural in that God is bringing together people who must be brought together supernaturally, who must be brought together by the work of God himself, bringing together in the gospel of Jesus Christ people who would never be brought together through activism or political declarations or sitting around the campfire singing Kumbaya. It's here, it's here in the church that we see the supernatural action of God in our lives so that we are not just any community, we are supernatural and a divinely appointed community and outpost for the kingdom of God that shines as a light in this dark world. Unlike any other people. world, And so, We are those who are one in Christ and we need now all of these reasons. We need to hear these reasons again and again and again because all of these reasons do not lead us into doubt, do not lead us to question and ask, am I really Christ's? No, in the life of the believer, all of these reasons are meant to exclaim and tell to you, you are Christ's. Paul is saying, and if you are Christ's, and you are, What encouragement do you need to hear today, dear brother and sister? What is it that's going to bring endurance into your life this week? Perseverance as you live the life of faith in Jesus Christ. It's the assurance and confidence and complete security knowing that you are Christ's. What are you going to come up against that is going to stop you? What are you going to come up against that will overtake you? What are you fearing? A virus? Government? Economic crisis? Family crisis? Health crisis? Even death? Whatever it is, I would be willing to say it's most likely temporary. Whatever it is, it is not out of God's control. It's a light, momentary affliction. But what is that light, momentary affliction doing? It's preparing you for a weight of glory beyond anything else that you would ever know in this world and in this life. Whatever it is that you fear, dear Christian, it will not have the final say. Do you ever combat those moments of fear, those moments of uncertainty, those moments of affliction, the moments of trials and tribulations? Do you ever combat those with the words, I am Christ's? That's a statement that swallows up all of those fears.
What if you're here today and you have this question, what if I am not Christ's? What if I don't know him? What then about all of my fears? There's good news for you today. There's good news because of the gospel. There's good news because God is God and he has created everything in this world and he has created you. He's created you in his own image to reflect his glory and his greatness, to rule over this world. Yet you, just like every other person, has sinned. You've sinned against God, gone against his way. You've fallen just like Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. But the good news is that you can be saved through Jesus Christ. That that sin does not have to remain. That sin which the Bible says the wages of sin is death, so that sin which leads to death does not have to remain yours. But that you can have that sin removed and forgiven through Jesus Christ. And that all of your sin, if you're thinking, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know all the ways that I've failed miserably. Jesus, when he forgives, he forgives all your sin. He cleanses completely. And now, it's because of his death on the cross, that death where it says that he bore our sins in his body on that tree so that we might live to righteousness. Now it's that death that he died and that resurrection that he calls you to believe in. To believe that Jesus died on the cross, to believe that he rose again from the dead to save you from your sin, to bring you to God And now he calls on you to repent and believe. Repent, turn from your sin, forsake your sin. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. But it means now that your view of sin has changed. You're no longer controlled by it. You're no longer dominated by it. It no longer calls the shots in your life. You say, no, the sin no longer calls the shots. Jesus calls the shots in my life. And that's what the Bible says. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Say, Jesus is king. He's the one who I'm following. He's the one who I want to live my life for. Then then all of these advantages that we're talking about will be yours as well. Then all of those fears that are plaguing your mind, all of those fears that are causing you paralyzing worry, all of those fears that are in your mind day in and day out, Jesus will alleviate those fears because you can know what Paul says here, I am Christ's. And I love how Paul says this. Look at it again here. And if you are Christ's, we could also say it this way, if you belong to Christ. Notice how this is turned on its head from how we might normally think. How often do we think? I've got Christ. I've attained Christ. I possessed Christ. But there is something more primary here. 
If it's only me holding on to Christ, I am liable to let go. My grip isn't strong enough. My stamina won't last. But if Christ has me, if I am firm in his grip, if I am his, if I belong to him, then I never have to worry about being lost. He will never let me go. I am secure and safe and saved in Christ. You are not your own. You belong to Christ. And if he has you, then what is there to fear? Why would you worry? Why would all of those little things in life that plague you, that keep you up at night, why would those have any say? You belong to Christ, so rest in him. Some might be afraid of such a notion because you've been taught it's not good to belong to anybody. That you are your own person. And that if you belong to anybody, you really can't trust them to take care of you. You fear that they will take advantage of you. That they will use you for their own ends and that you will end up hurt. But belonging to Jesus does not mean that he will take advantage of you. Rather, it is for our benefit. Because we are, uh, we are afforded all the advantages that we will ever need in him. He doesn't take advantage. He makes it so that we possess these massive, great advantages that come through him and that will go on into eternity, that will never stop. How do you belong to Christ? How do you know that you belong to him? It's not because of anything that you've done. Go back again to the book of Romans, the very first chapter, the very first few verses. This is a long sentence, and the punchline comes at the end. And it's all good, it's all good, but, but again, what I'm going to be emphasizing comes at the very end. But to help us understand what's being said, let's begin in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, included, including you, who are called to what? To belong to Jesus Christ. Did you see that or hear that there at the very end? <laughs> including you who are what? Called. You've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. And I would say this is an effectual calling. He's called you. When God calls you to belong to Jesus Christ, you belong to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and think about your belonging 
you being Christ's isn't because you wiggled and wormed your way in. It isn't belonging by achievement that you've accomplished. You are Christ by nothing that you've done yourself to position yourself as someone worthy to be called Christ's. This is contradictory to belonging that happens in the world. Why do you belong to something in this world? I've done something to get it. I've got the right resume. I've got the right qualifications, the right personality, the right skill set, the right interests, but none of those make you Christ's. He sought me. He bought me. How? By his redeeming blood. I am Christ's because of Christ. Was it enough for the Galatians to be Christ's? Or were they looking for something more? Is it enough for you, dear brother and sister, to be Christ's, or are you looking for something more? You belong to Christ. What is greater? What is more desirable? And we see here now, back in Galatians 3, this beautiful progression If you are Christ's, here's the then, then you are Abraham's offspring. Paul has already told us about Abraham's offspring. He's already said that Abraham's offspring does not refer what? To many, but refers to one. So Paul has taken us from these many sons of Abraham. He says, well, really, it's all whittled down. It all finds its fulfillment in one person, Abraham's offspring with a capital O, is Jesus Christ. But now look at what Paul does. He widens it out again, doesn't he? He says it's because you are in Christ that you also now are what? Abraham's offspring because you are in Christ. We are so united to Christ. We are so closely connected to him that we now are also called Abraham's offspring. All Christians, regardless of ethnicity or background or hereditary line, you, dear Christian, are Abraham's offspring. You are part of a line of faith that can trace all the way back to Abraham, that goes through Christ and that is now applied to you. How great a privilege it is to be able to be called sons of Abraham. And you see that here, don't you? If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and what? Heirs according to promise. All of the promises that were made to Abraham are fulfilled in Christ and now Paul is saying you are the beneficiary of the inheritance that comes through Jesus Christ. You are heirs, not because you worked for it, not because you were born into a particular family. You are heirs according to promise, a promise that comes to us from God through Christ Jesus, a promise that is sure, immovable, and unshakable. What is it? If if you are an inheritor, if you are an heir, what's the first question that you ask? What do I get? I mean, let's be honest right? What do I get if I'm an heir, if I'm an inheritor? What do you want? 
I want everything. What do you get in Jesus Christ? Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is what? That is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the inheritance that we receive as heirs. And I would say, we never find a laundry list of that inheritance in the Bible. But I think, if I'm reading God's word correctly, and I seek to be reading his word correctly, that what is the greatest inheritance that we receive through Jesus Christ? God himself. What do you want? I want everything. What do you have in Jesus Christ? You have everything in God. All through with the searching. All through with the looking. An inheritance beyond anything that we could ever dream of. An inheritance greater and more valuable than anything that we could ever know in this world. How great it is to be heirs, and as God's word says, to be fellow heirs with Christ, says that in Romans 8, 17. This truth of being heirs according to the promise speaks a word to you this morning. If you are an heir of God, Think about this. Think about how God is caring for you. Think about how God is providing for you all that you need, and because you have this title of heir before God, you can be content in the state of where you are right now. Are you content? Can you be content? You can be if the truth of being an heir of God is at the forefront of your mind. Why are you discontent? Is it because you think God is holding something back from you? Look at these verses. Look at all that is yours because of Jesus Christ. Look at how much God has done for you. Look at how much God has given you. God is not a stingy God. You are heirs according to promise. Be content, Christian. Be content with how much God has given you and how much he will give you in the end. This should be the true distinguishing mark of a Christian is contentment. How do we wrap this all up this morning? Let's go back to this idea. Are you trying to find your place in this world? Are you trying to find your place in this life? These glorious verses tell the Christian their place. We no longer need to go about looking for our place in this world. It's right here explained to us. That's important because the place of searching for your place is not easy. 
It's heart-wrenching. It's painful. It can even bring much despair as you look for your place. And so many times you think that you found it only to be let down, disappointed. God, in his word, is saying this disappointment of finding your place is over. Here it is. You found a place before God. You found a place before his throne, a place in his family, a place of status and prominence before the sovereign God of the universe who has called you his son. Who are you? You are a son of God. You found a place where you can relate to yourself, not by turning in on yourself, not by being selfish, not by looking out for number one, but a place where you can say with joy, I have been crucified with Christ. I have died with Christ, the old self, the old person, the person that was held fast by sin and nature's night is dead. And now it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So I willingly take up my cross, sacrifice myself, and follow Jesus Christ. It's a place where you find yourself united with Christ. Where you find all that you are in him where you want to be clothed with his righteousness, where you want to be sanctified by him, where you want to be conformed into his image, desiring to be like him. You found a place in the community of the church, a place where you can throw off the shackles of superiority, a place where you can look at others without allowing worldly distinctions to divide you and separate you, a place where you can actually be one with other people, where you are called one body in Christ Jesus, A place of unity and acceptance because of your judgment of others is not based upon distinctions that you think will get you ahead, but are based on the truth that you are those who are united and are brought together by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A place where you can accept those distinctions with grace and forbearance and love. Also a place that you found a place in history. You are in Abraham's line. You are his offspring because you are Christ's. There is talk today in our world of being found on the right side of history. Such arguments are being used against Christians when it comes to things like homosexuality or transgenderism or gender fluidity or race relations. The world says, get in line, Christian. Get with the program, If you don't, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Newsflash. The only history that matters is God's history. And all matters will be judged by him with complete equity and righteousness and justice. And guess what? All those in Christ... And all those who live by and hold fast to the word of Christ will be on the right side of history because in the end, Jesus wins. You want to be on the right side of history? Know Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus Christ. Believe everything that he has said in his word. Confess that he is Lord and submit yourself to him. Repent and turn from your sin and know what it is to be one with God, at peace with God, and know what it is to be forgiven of all of your sin, past, present, and future. Commit yourself to him. Stop leaning on your own understanding. Then you will know your place in this world and then you will be at peace and then you will know all the advantages 
privileges that are yours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your word is holy and true. I pray today that what I have said is in accordance with your word. That it lines up with the text that you have graciously given to us. And that you would so use it in our hearts and minds and lives. Father, I pray that there's someone here today who does not know you, that they would come to know you through Jesus Christ. That they would behold the beauty of the Savior. that they would know what it means to be united to him in faith. Father, we are weak. We need you to help us. And we need you to work in us. And so we trust this morning that you will do that by the power of your spirit applying your powerful word to our hearts. And that we would remember that we are fellow heirs with Christ of you, heirs of promise. And so we hold fast to your promises because your promises never fail. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.